This is HSBC Global Viewpoint, your window into the thinking, trends and issues shaping global banking and markets. Join us as we hear from industry leaders and HSBC experts on the latest insights and opportunities for your business. A heads up to our listeners that this episode has been recorded remotely, therefore the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. I'm Florence Tan, Country Head of Global Trade and Receivables Finance for Mainland China. 2020 has been such an extraordinary year with lots of uncertainty and unexpected events, spanning from unprecedented health crisis, stock market volatility, to a number of geopolitical issues as well. Now, against this backdrop, many sectors have survived, have adversely been affected and are struggling to survive. In contrast, e-commerce has been one of the bright spots that has showed continuing resilience and booming demand. As this development is poised to accelerate given the growing online population, and as we turn to a brand new year, it is a good time for us to reflect the path that leads to today's success and envision the future state that we can all shape collectively. So today, I'm very pleased to be joined by a group of sector experts who have broad exposure and deep knowledge of the e-commerce sector to share with us their insights and also about the trends and opportunities of this exciting part of the economy. So join me to welcome Mr. Matthew Liu, Head of Global Partnership Blockchain Trade Finance of Ant Group, Mr. Alex Sawaya, Partner and Leader of Retail Practice for Asia Pacific, McKenzie & Company, Mr. Louis Sun, Regional Head of Product, Global Liquidity and Cash Management Asia Pacific, HSBC. And Mr. Simon Tang, General Manager, Merchant Partnership, Hong Kong Television Network Limited, also known as HKTV Mall. We will start the panel discussion, after which we hope to leave some time for questions. So please feel free to raise any questions that you may have in the Q&A box at the bottom. Okay, so first of all, first question to Alex. What are your observations of the development of the e-commerce segment? Thank you, um, Florence, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, are you hearing me uh, fine? Does this sound okay? Right. Um, so, uh, great questions. So I think... Um, the development of e-commerce has been really an irre- irreversible trend, right? So this is something that, um, you know, it's, it's no secret for everyone. Uh, the question was really kind of over the years is, you know, how will different countries and markets basically develop and how quickly? Um, in the past, what we've seen is the emergence of very clear plays around digital ecosystems. Digital ecosystems that have the developed in the US, in China, obviously, because of scale. But you see that develop as well in Japan, Korea, um, as well as um, Europe. A lot of countries, if you think about Southeast Asia, have been uh, less developed, have been trying to get inspired by China and its growth path in terms of modernization of trade. And this is was going through e-commerce, or at least digital. Um, COVID hit 
And the interesting thing to uh, to note there is, you know, really COVID has accelerated what we call kind of seen decades happen in days uh, across the board, be it, you know, um, on e-commerce, be it um, and across category. The in past, I mean, most of you probably have no right that um, electronics is a category that has long been online. Beauty as well. These are products that are easy to um, to sell online that have been uh, relatively successful in driving e-commerce penetration, high-value items. The biggest question was around the biggest and largest category, which is grocery. And what you've seen, obviously, throughout COVID with all these stores and the networks being closed, that this has actually accelerated. If we take China, for example, E-commerce has on, on grocery has increased 20 percentage points. It really went from around two to three percent towards 20 percent. Our projections in the most optimistic scenario lead us to believe that 30 percent will become the norm, the the the, the penetration um, in China for for grocery. This has been underpinned by a few things, right? So one is in the past economics of these um, of these categories were difficult to make happen, and the consumer were less likely to actually buy these categories if they were not in the store. Basically, um, COVID has pushed the boundaries. People were forced to try new experiences. In China, it's stuck. It's stuck in Hong Kong. It's stuck in Japan. Korea has really leapfrogged on these categories. If you think about the way um, going forward, it's no longer around whether e-commerce is going to more evolve across different retail categories. Question is, how would players be able to compete, the traditional ones at least, in the new normal? You see a lot of players that are really exiting um, markets like Carrefour in China, like Auchan. They've exited because getting the economics right, competing in an e e-commerce business or, or era is becoming more difficult. Same thing, by the way, for apparel. Apparel during COVID has completely shifted online with the recovery, for example, in China or in Japan. We've not seen traffic go back to the stores. People are buying online. They are liking the experiences. Retailers and, and, and on, online players have adopted their model in order to make the customer experience and the service level up to the customers' expectations. Great. Thanks, um, Alex. I think you know, hearing from you. you. Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. So thank you, Alex. Um, I think hearing from you, e-commerce sector has been very fast growing, right? Um, uh, across a number of retail categories. Uh, and the uh, growth itself is really amazing. So maybe I'd like to direct the next question to the man on the ground, right? Simon, you must be thrilled <laughs> to have experienced this growth firsthand. So what in your view has enabled or propelled such growth? Simon, please. Um, thank you, Flores. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, this is Simon from HATV Mall. Uh, in my point of view, uh, there are two key factors that accelerated the growth of e-commerce. The first one is uh, customer experience. Um, it's about the whole process from browsing products to collecting orders deliveries. Particularly, um, we think uh, one-stop marketplaces offering a wide variety of choice is important to enhance customer experience. My company, HKTV Mall, was uh, quite well known for selling groceries items online in the beginning stage. And then we transformed uh, to an online shopping mall selling basically everything. 
we found this strategy very successful because our groceries became our key traffic driver that keeps our customer come back uh, very frequently. But uh, when they check out uh, on average, they would buy three other categories together. For example, uh, beauty products, fashion items, home appliances, et cetera, et cetera. Without grocery as a hook, together with a wide variety of choice, e-commerce companies might struggle to sustain a regular traffic. In fact, uh, the largest e-commerce companies in the world are also using this model. Um, Amazon and Alibaba didn't sell groceries when they started, but now they even are operating uh, physical grocery shops for a very good reason. And the second factor, I think, is uh, competition. Uh, E-commerce um, is still a small part in many areas in the world, and it, it has a huge potential to develop. But uh, if we are talking about uh, converting majority of offline sales to online, only a few competitors in, in the market is not enough. The outbreak of uh, COVID-19 is like a wake-up call to many brands and consumers, which rely on offline channels to explore e-commerce. And the engagement level of the competitors is uh, also so important for penetrating into consumers' daily life and thus changing their shopping behavior. And the fact is, um, once customers go online, they, they won't easily go offline. Uh, all the e-commerce e companies need to do is to provide an excellent uh, customer experience and keep the customer happy. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Totally agree, right? I mean, Simon, uh, customer experience is definitely the most important consideration for any business success, including for banks like us. Uh, and healthy competition really does shape, you know, the landscape that um, that everyone can thrive in. So now directing the uh, next question to Matthew. So in your opinion, what do you find um, as most important for your organization's success? Matthew, please. Thank you, Florence. Um, so I, I can share probably one perspective uh, from uh, our experience in Alibaba and Ant Group ecosystem, uh, which is how technology has empowered a new operating model, right? So, uh, so the example is um, the, the, there's the existing relationship among product, place, and people, um, where the products are first designed and produced, then put in places to reach them, um, and ultimately, the focus is to sell to the people who are the consumers as well as other business. Now, with technology, uh, we can do it in the reverse way, especially in the e-commerce area, right? So first, uh, you get real-time feedback from the people, which are the consumers and the business, again, you know, to see and to be. And, and their, their feedbacks and their preferences can be, you know, collected in a relatively real-time manner um, and, and then with... with big data and AI that can form decisions in terms of what uh, to produce, yeah? And, and then the second part is where, you know, AI, big data and IoT technologies comes into play. Uh, how to strategize uh, where to put these goods and services in order to reach the people. Um, so this part is also very critical. And just, uh, you know, for clarification, this doesn't only include websites or apps, um, you know, brick and mortar shops as well, um, because these are all, you know, good channels uh, when you put this algorithm in place. And then the third part comes into production. And we've seen that in the industry, there are a lot of good practice um, using blockchain, big data and AI technologies 
to make the design and production in a swift and secure uh, way. And so, so this is the product part. And we, we believe only technology can enable this reverse relationship uh, among product, place, and people to happen in order to serve the customer better. Um, um, and, and this is something you know we, we believe not only a you know a traditional e-commerce business can adopt, but maybe the, the, this can be uh, gradually accepted by the industry, but by different industries. Um, again, the focus is the the people, yeah, the the consumers and other business who, to whom you try to sell your product. Um, yeah, so so that that's my sharing. Thanks, Florence. Thanks, thanks, Matthew. You're absolutely right. I think technology is a very critical catalyst, right? Um, in the uh, you know in in in, the, in this modern world nowadays. And uh, personally, I feel very lucky that uh, we have so many advanced technologies, right, at our disposal. So, um, just continuing with um, our next question, uh, Matthew, um, do you think all stops have been pulled for the e-commerce business? You know, how about coming from a cross-border perspective? What are the challenges that you have uh, observed? Uh, thank you, Florence. Uh, right. So, 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 my our current business now, you know, focusing cross-border e-commerce uh, for in the in the B two B area. Uh, so, uh, our, our name is Trustful to make uh, trust simple, and that's why I want to share some perspective from uh, the SME's perspective. Yeah, um, we believe trust, trust um, is the critical matter um, that that you know may potentially you know have um, impeded some growth. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about cross-border e-commerce. Um, think about you know, the traditional model of building trust in the cross-border area. Um, this, this may be readily available for larger players, multinationals, um, you know, uh, the companies with sufficient uh, means and, and connections. Yeah, but, but, but for SMEs, yeah, hundreds of millions of them trying to get into the cross-border e-commerce area, um, you know, think about language, jurisdiction, foreign currency, uh, et cetera. So all, all these would complicate this matter for them. Um, so we, we, have a, we have a joke in the tech business. The longest distance is between uh, you trying to talk to me while uh, I, I'm responding to my Facebook message. Um, but, but, but think another case. Think, you know, this is a, a mom and pop sportswear shop in, 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 in Thailand and a local manufacturer in China um, you know, they don't speak the same language and uh, they, they cannot meet to shake hand, uh, even if they manage to communicate some business intention. Now, um, how to pay, how much to pay, in what currency, how to ship, is there a guarantee? How much is the guarantee going to cost? How to deal with tariffs and other taxes? Uh, how to ensure quality control? Um, so again, this, this may be just a checklist, a normal checklist in the cross-border multinational companies, um, you know, office. But again, for these SMEs, uh, this is truly, so this, this trust building issue is truly the longest distance to travel before this cross-border e-commerce deal can happen. Uh, but the good thing is, uh, you know, um, we, we have seen that, you know, many financial institutions and tech companies in the industry share the same view, uh, how to make trust simple. And then there are multiple different approaches, um, some with financial methods, some with technologies. Um, we, we, we share the same vision and trying to you know, make this uh, infrastructure easier to use uh, for the SMEs. Um, and so that, that, that's my point. Thanks, Florence. Back to you. 
Thanks. Thanks, Matthew. Uh, and well said. So now to you, Louis, sorry to keep you waiting. So how do you think banks uh, can then play a bigger and more important role in helping e-commerce players solve these pain points? Thank you. Thank you, Florence. I think it's really uh, enlightening to uh, listen to the insights from uh, Alex, Simon, Matthew, right? Uh, from the bank point of view, apparently, you know, the COVID pandemic has been a really a very unique experience, right? In the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we actually struggle to really bump up our digital and, uh, you know, electronic capabilities because the physical contest is no longer possible. Uh, by riding on the wave, uh, we have done a lot of uh, digital transformation for our fundamental capabilities. I think one thing we realize is, uh, you know, the traditional way to just service our own clients probably is not what our clients are looking for. And we need to also help our clients to connect better to their clients. So we started to look into solutions where, you know, in the past we could, you know, uh, choose not to do, but uh, at the current situation, then we have to do it to help our client to connect to their clients. You know, one example is uh, we pushed out our OmniCollect uh, solution, right? So for online platform, basically, if you want to collect from consumers, normally you need to connect to card acquire or connect to uh, uh, individual consumers through the wallets, right? Or using banking systems. And then normally you will have to establish multiple connections but our solution will enable anyone who wants to do an online sales, online settlement by building up just one interface to receive from any consumers. So that, you know, really we have seen the result has been very, very positive. And uh, last year in 2020, right, uh, we had roughly around 3000 clients going live with this solution. That reflects basically when we talk about e-commerce, probably, you know, a few years ago, it was more topic for e-platforms, e-marketplaces, and now e-commerce is basically a business imperative for almost everyone. And we have a role to play to help, you know, all the consumer brands, retailers to really connect to their consumers. And another point is on a cross-border basis, we do see, uh, you know, uh, bigger challenges in this space, partially because from an infrastructure point of view, uh, you know, it, it is still relatively underdeveloped as compared to a domestic settlement where wallets, real-time payment infrastructure are largely, uh, you know, uh, helping the online uh, sales, online settlements. Uh, for the cross-border parts, we have seen a, a few uh, really positive developments like uh, Swift is trying to enable GPI, right, provide better transparency, uh, richer information. We are also working with some partners trying to use new technologies like blockchain to realize a real-time cross-border payment experience. I think very soon probably you may see some, uh, you know, live cases in this space. And last point probably I can highlight is, uh, you know, for especially for cross-border uh, e-commerce, we need a really uh, holistic supply chain solution to embed a financing option into an ordinary uh, payment experience, right? That will cover basically merchant financing, digital decisioning, uh, data-based uh, algorithm, right, for faster approval. You know, only with all of this, we will be able to help you know, the real growth of the B2B, B2B2C, or B2C uh, transactions on a cross-border basis. Uh, probably I will just stop here.
Thank you. Thank you, Lewis, um, for helping to promote my supply chain um, solutions as well. <laughs> okay, now moving into the uh, last section of our um, discussion, which is the topic um, right that we have today. So um, looking into the future, where do each of you see the rising trends and opportunities? And just a reminder, um, given you know we have uh, we'd like to give some time for QA, I will give each of you two minutes, right, to share your views. Um, so maybe you can start with Alex. Let me do that. So Again, based on what I've uh, I think shared earlier, I think this trend is going to continue. Um, um, it's interesting; it's going to evolve. We already seen that, and, and a good market to look at is China. China has obviously been kind of the inspiration, and then the development. A lot of the ideas are going there. The rest of the world, my clients are being inspired by what's happening there. China, there's really, so in general, there are four things I would say that are going to prevail. Uh, first one is we no longer really talk about e-commerce. We talk about omni-channel. It's a very it's the term that is the most loosely used. It's probably the most important. The Chinese consumer is ninety-six percent omni-channel, right? So they discover products, they they buy products in one or two channels, and they basically alter right back and forth from product discovery to information to experience to purchase. So omnichannel is going to be key. This is one of the areas that has been the most difficult for retailers to get right. Um, that's where you also see players like Alibaba, um, Amazon, and uh, recently Rakuten basically going into physical retail, right? So now they to, to create that that omnichannel and then you know kind of that growth uh, experience. Second one is DTC. We've seen a lot of new. Um, ways basically that people are engaging and selling to their customers. The easiest one to, to relate to is probably what's happened in Myanmar, which is typically using Facebook as, you know, a commerce website to people cannot be able to trade. In China, we've seen that with obviously with WeChat, a lot of the luxury sales that happened during COVID happened by um, advisors being able to engage and connect with their, uh, you know, kind of elite clients through through WeChat and keep that conversation going and frankly, close transactions there. There have been a big movement in China now on the fresh side, which is called community buy, where you have, you know, uh, you know, people that are connecting with suppliers, taking orders and selling in communities. This has completely changed the supply chain cost that you have on these products. That, that D2C element is going to continue prevailing. Another big important one that is prevailing everywhere now uh, is B2B2C. Um, which is really no longer about B2B. It's B2B2C. It's, if you think about Vietnam, One Mount Group is really driving into disrupting the fragmented trade, a little bit leveraging or getting inspired but but Ali, what Alibaba Lin Shutong has done in China or uh, Mei Tsai or Mei Tuang. So you have a lot of these you know, kind of B2B elements that are happening. The end game is to link the suppliers all the way to the customers. Last one is C2M, which is customer to manufacturer. It's the reverse trend. This is something that people are, are experimenting with. We're going to spend next 10 seconds. Sorry, there's very important enablers that we need to keep in mind. It's very important to make this whole thing work, or that will, and it's important, frankly, for banks. It's really this end-to-end -end supply chain. It's really this fintech solutions, making sure that you have payment solutions for small merchants and big merchants. It's financing on the point of sale, supply chain financing, supplier financing that is quite important. And the most important part is big data, right? Really making the big data to reduce the entire cost of, of the system. I took a bit more than two minutes. Thanks, Sorry thanks about Alex. that, yeah. No worries. Thanks, Alex. Um, now moving quickly to Simon. Simon, would you like to share your views? 
Sure. Um, I think e-commerce companies uh, should no longer limit themse themselves as only an e-commerce uh, marketplace. In fact, uh, many uh, e-commerce giants in the world have been building a what, uh, what we call a digital ecosystem in their markets. Taking my company as an example, we are working on many projects that are not uh, directly related to selling, but, but the service that surround customers' uh, daily life. We have introduced an e-wallet and e-payment method, uh, even food delivery service, uh, live streaming content. This year, we will be launch, uh, launching taxi hailing service and, and a pre-owned goods marketplace. What we are trying to do is to compete uh, for the top of mind awareness among consumers within the keen and ever-changing competition environment. When we succeed in penetrating into consumers' daily life, our our customer will be very sticky to our platform and come back, come, come back to us whenever they need anything from the internet. That's why e-commerce companies should always evolve themselves and search for a new way of selling. Thanks, Simon. I think um, you know. I'm glad. I, I'm sure you have a very exciting, you know, um, journey ahead. So, Matthew, how about yourself? Anything to share? Um, sure. <clears throat> Um, very quickly on, on my side, so uh, I believe technology is going to keep evolving. And at the same time, uh, business, you know, being it, uh, you know, the traditional ones or new forms are going to have new ways of uh, adopting these technologies to make trust simple, especially uh, in a cross-border business. Um, so, so like I mentioned earlier, in our business, uh, Trustful, we're very happy to work with uh, HSBC team. Um, and then trying to make the cross-border transaction easier for SMEs. Thanks, Lawrence. Well, that was short and sharp, Matthew. <laughs> okay, and finally, going into uh, Louis, um, how, what would you like to share from a financial service provider's perspective? Sure, I, I think, you know, probably I'm in agreement with, uh, you know, all the panelists' view on this, probably just to add a few uh, points, right? The first ones, uh, I do I do believe we're going to see a convergence of uh, the digital payment instruments. Uh, essentially, you know, the biggest wave we have seen the in the you know recent years is really uh, the push from uh, electronic to digital, right? When I highlight this, probably it's a bit of a confusing, but think about this, right? Electronic mode, basically, we're still counting on file transfer day and reconciliation, cut of time to make things work. But in the digital world, we're talking about message exchange, real-time transfer, 24 by seven, positive confirmation on a real-time basis and an embedded uh, financing option, right? I believe if you look at all the major instruments on the market, bank transfers, wallets, credit cards, I think they're all moving toward the same direction to to get the same experience. That's probably the first point I want to share. The second point is uh, we may continue to, say, uh, to see a very strong uh, push from a government side, mainly from two aspects. One side is a lot of governments are looking into a stronger digital infrastructure to support the e-commerce business. And the many uh, governments actually are having bilateral or multilateral conversation to establish a better experience on a cross-border basis. And that will greatly help basically the fundamental uh, settlement needs, uh, funds transfer needs uh, to support uh, cross-border e-commerce. Second point, you know, many governments are also coming up, coming up with uh, new regulations to govern the usage of data, govern 
you know, the right way of conducting the business. So basically how to strike a balance between speed and the compliance will be one critical agenda for the e-commerce uh, industry. Probably the last one uh, I want to highlight is really, you know, I guess the online service model, e-commerce model will be continue to be very, very diverse. It's almost impossible given, you know, uh, so many different, uh, you know, retail and consumer brands are uh, operating uh, with different contexts to adopt one site face all solution. So I think the challenge for us and the, probably the direction will be, we will see a lot more partnership, co-creation. So the concept like uh, banking as a service, connecting via APIs will become more uh, prominent on the market. Thank you, Florence. Back to you. Thank you. Thank you, Louis. In fact, you actually answered the first question that came in. Uh, so you're actually moving into the Q&A now. Um, the first question was, was uh, what is your view of the competitive and collaborative relationship between banks and e-commerce players? Not sure if you want, you have anything else to add, um, given your earlier sharing. <laughs> sure. No, I, I, I do feel like more partnership rather than competition, because uh, if you look at the roles, you know, each of us can play in supporting the overall e-commerce, uh, you know, business model, right? Essentially, the platform, they have a better infrastructure to support transparency of the data, data exchange, connecting better to consumers. But from a banking side, we provide better, more robust infrastructure for settlements, for funds exchange, right? Provide, you know, uh, the proper reporting for not only business needs, but also compliance needs. So I, 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 I do understand sometimes they're overlapping, right? In this sort of a different roles, but fundamentally I think we're servicing uh, different needs in this ecosystem. Thanks, thanks Lewis. Um, and we got our second question and this is directed to Simon. Um, what would you say about the change of your supply chain strategies, if any, since COVID-19? Ah, yes, uh, <laughs> actually that was a big change. Uh, before COVID-19, we, we couldn't imagine that uh, over the night, uh, you cannot find, uh, you cannot buy rice, uh, the grocery items like the toilet rolls uh, <laughs> uh, online because uh, they, are, they are the must have uh, of the consumers. And we usually stock a lot of uh, infantry in the warehouse, but uh, COVID-19 changed everything. And uh, we see a big uh, boost uh, to, to uh, certain categories, uh, especially the groceries item. So uh, actually uh, we did, uh, uh, we, we, we have done some changes to uh, with our supply chain partners. Uh, for example, uh, before the COVID-19, we usually uh, just issue the purchase order uh, once or two times per, per week and they uh, stock in uh, regularly, but uh, but now we change the model. We uh, we just uh, receive all the orders from the customer first, and then uh, we will, uh, it's like a pre-order model. We we receive all the orders, and then we uh, uh, we send the orders to our supply chain uh, partners, and they deliver the, the inventory to, to our warehouse day, uh, every day, so so that we make sure that uh, the supply is uh, enough uh, to cater, to, uh, cater for the demand. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Um, thanks, Simon. And uh, another question we have is directed to Alex. So how do you view the e-commerce value proposition towards sustainability and uh, society benefits? It's, it's, um, it's, very, um, it's a very good question. 
um, it's uh, it's very important. Uh, it's very important because um, the amount of um, paper, if you will, right, that really kind of is moved across the chain, the amount of um, the carbon footprint, frankly, of e-commerce operation is significantly higher. Um, the type of products that are also being shipped and used is also different. And what you see is uh, Alibaba is, for example, driving towards that. They're working with companies like L'Oreal that use a lot of, you know, um, uh, you know, packaging. They use a lot of, um, um, you know, material basically that needs to be transported that is not necessary. That both increase bulky, so leads to bulky kind of shipments, but also, you know, the, the manufacturing and the packaging process itself. Uh, and they're working together to basically really kind of re reinvent and innovate the way they will be shipping in the future to ensure sustainability. And you see that really happening across the board. It has very different level of priorities, I would say, in different countries and different markets. But it's clear that the brands and specifically the foreign brands are very wary about that. And as a result, are making a deliberate decision and partnerships with their platforms to make sure that they reduce the carbon footprint that they, they use. Great, thanks, thanks, um, um, Alex. Uh, yeah. So I guess that we have time for maybe one final question, um, and that's to Matthew. How do you see the efforts of banks um, have been making in coping with the fast development of uh, the digital era? Thanks, Florence. Um, so you, you know, I, I actually started my my job from a bank, and then uh, I've been working with many good banking partners around the world. Um, if you ask me the same question five years ago, I, I have to say, you know, the banks were slow. Um, but if you ask me today, uh, what I've seen is, um, you know, banks have been investing heavily in order to digitize um, and, and using, using, you know, digitize the process. And it is not only digitizing the process, but using technologies to upgrade the infrastructure, um, you know, to, to serve a uh, I would say, let, let's say, uh, some segments that were traditionally harder to serve. Um, for example, yeah, I, I take, again, I want to take examples of SMEs. Um, when, let, let's say, banks assess SME credits, um, probably the, the traditional method may not be sufficient, especially when you talk about the SME uh, who is in the cross-border e-commerce area. Uh, probably the balance sheet doesn't look as, as nice as they should be. Uh, uh, but then uh, they have large flows, you know, large sales, and then they're stable on, you know, e-commerce platforms. So <clears throat> there, there, there are new approaches, new mindsets, and new technologies coming into such assessments. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, today I also feel that, you know, banks are being more and more open to work in partnership with tech companies. Um, this, this is a very healthy relationship where, you know, banks do more on the banking side, with a strong balance sheet and risk management, and then you know tech companies then come comes into play uh, to do more enablement and and partners. Um, so so this is also a a good model uh, that we see in in the banks. Um, you know, and, and then this keeps evolving. You think about uh, the next five years. Yeah, five years later, you have to ask me the same question. Um, it's probably to another level. Um, so you know, you know let, let let's keep this trend going and let's keep this good partnership relationship. 
Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Certainly looking forward to more collaboration with your good group. <laughs> okay, so due to the time constraints, uh, I'm afraid we can't answer all the questions that is uh, posted today. Um, so anyone else has any further questions, please do direct them to us um, as your banker. So I think today has been a great discussion, uh, touching on many, many different aspects. But I think one key takeaway I have uh, is that customer centricity, right, has always been the key driver uh, behind every step of development. And it remains the, the case, you know, for e-commerce as well. So maybe digitalization of the traditional operating model transformation uh, with more advanced technology or even collaboration amongst various uh, ecosystem players, right? So we all see that supply chain is no longer linear. Uh, in fact, we are moving into more complex you know, ecosystem uh, and banks like HSBC will have greater role to play right? Uh, in order to help you guys uh, you know, handle and manage all these pain points. So HSBC with our unrivaled international footprint and digital capabilities, uh, we are very confident that we will work with every one of our partners uh, to ride through this tide and to rise to new heights. Okay, so with that, Together we thrive. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you uh, everyone very much for your time. Uh, we hope that you find this session as insightful as we all did. Thank you for listening today. This has been HSBC Global Viewpoint, Banking and Markets. For more information about anything you heard in this podcast or to learn about HSBC's global services and offerings, please visit gbm.hsbc.com. <laughs>